because Dave Camposano is the president and founder of 22 Mohawks and has spends a lot of his time addressing veteran suicide, raising awareness, holding events, it's easy to just think you can pigeonhole him into just a veteran suicide conversation. Uh, Dave is such a great conversationalist. Our conversation went everywhere. We talked about the influence of women in your military choices, or even the choice to join the military, how that plays a role. We talked about Dave's own personal story in the military, his brief time at Ranger Bat, his time going through multiple SF selections. Uh, we talked about, um, we kind of got into dorm room, lava lampy talk about philosophy and why people do things. And if it's all about sex and death, um, in addition to a wide ranging conversation on veteran suicide, you're not going to want to miss this. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is the weekly havoc. Welcome to this special spotlight episode of the Weekly Havoc, where we engage with a conversation with one specific staff, writer, or friend of Havoc Journal. Try to make a little order out of chaos. My guest this week is the founder and president of 22 Mohawks, former Army veteran Dave Camposano. Dave, how are you? Doing well, Chris. How are you? I am good, brother. So listen, we've got a lot of ground to cover because we don't just have to talk about whatever we were going to talk about today. We also have to make up for your last appearance on the show, which was, so we got, I got all those questions still when you came on the masculinity episode and then, and then we were rudely interrupted by uh, moving vehicles and limited bandwidth. Uh, That was a fun one though. (laughs) So I got, but I got, I still got all my questions from that because I'm like, Oh God, I, there, there's so much stuff I want to talk about with you. So, um, but I want to start first with 22 Mohawks because you guys are lighting shit up. I, I mean, like, first off, is it just you doing social for them? Because your guys' social operation seems really sophisticated. Um, you mean like like our like weekly events or like well, the, like no, just just your publicity, just like what I'm seeing on Instagram. Like everything seems really polished. You're putting out content like all the time. I'm like how the hell are you doing this with a full-time job and, and being able to shoehorn all that in? Yeah. So I, I actually do the posting myself on Instagram, um, oh. on social media. And then Stacy from the team and Kelly from the team, they do a lot of the, uh, like the background stuff, like putting together the flyers and, and putting okay. it looking like sexy, you know? So uh, I'm, an effort. no, I'm, I'm super impressed because you guys are, are like a persistent and growing presence on, on social. And that's just, I, and, and I'm not saying that just, for superficial reasons that like, Oh boy, you guys are really on Instagram a lot, but it's also like the sign of a healthy organization that like, there's a lot of people G'd up and willing to put in the extra time to volunteer, to make something um, well polished. Maybe we should just start though, by, for those that don't know, I think a lot of our listeners probably are already aware of 22 Mohawks, but let's br- uh, run down exactly what you guys are about. And I'll let you do the thumbnail sketch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can start kind of from the beginning, how we started essentially. I mean, I did, I did 16 years in the army and um, obviously did some time overseas, lost some friends, but when I got back in 2016, I didn't, I ended up hurting my back in the Q course and, uh, and getting medical discharge in 2016. But when I got out, like the first couple of years, I kind of didn't pay any mind to anything that was going on. And then all of a sudden, a lot of my friends started dying, right. They started killing themselves. And it was, uh, 
you know, I was upset, obviously, right? So I'm in a position at work where I have a lot of autonomy, so I can kind of flex my day if I want to do other things. So I thought to myself, you know, let's bring some awareness to veteran suicide because I've lost such dear friends to my to me. Um, so I initially started by doing a, um, yeah, I took a selfie, went to the went to the um, barbershop, got a mohawk, took a selfie, posted on social media and said, hey, mohawks now for um, for veteran suicide awareness for every mohawk that's posted. I'll donate a hundred bucks to veteran suicide awareness. And essentially I was going to just give it to mission 22, you know, the larger organization just to give some money back and, and try to just raise awareness. Well, I mean, it took a couple of days and I had 22 Mohawks. Then I went to like 50 Mohawks, kids were posting, females were posting. It was, it was really, really cool. Um, so then, you know, I started an event, a parachute event. I mean, what veteran doesn't want to do something risky, right? We're all, you know, outliers. We want to, you know, run towards the sound of gunfire, as they right. say. So, you know, parachuting out of, out of a plane is really cool. So every Labor Day, we do a tandem parachute jump, whether that's um, in Orange or it's in Pepperell. It's one of the local places in Massachusetts that do tandem jumps. And if you have your A license, you can actually jump solo if you want. But um, yeah, so that happened. We just did our second year of that and it just took off. So many people started getting involved. You know, we did t-shirts and people just... People love it, right? People think the name's cool. Um, so essentially what we do is the whole goal is to just raise awareness for veteran suicide, right? And I know like that's, everyone's like, oh, you know, all these nonprofits, they raise awareness, right? Well, right. it's important because like, if you go out in your local community um, and start talking about this stuff that no one fucking talks about, right? Mm -hmm. So many people reach out to you. Like I've had so many civilian people like reach out and say, Hey, Dave, I'm so glad you're doing this. I've never told anyone this, but, and it's just like somebody from high school who I didn't know who married a vet whose spouse took their own life and is, was like beaten by their spouse and is a gold star um, wife now and just needs someone to talk to Right. So it's like, yeah. it opens up so many doors for people to be like, Oh, that was Dave from high school. That kid who wrestled, who's now like doing this thing. And I want to go talk to him. And it just like, it allows people to have a conversation. And I mean, that's where it starts. You know, if, if I think about mission 22, that huge organization, right They're everywhere. I think they're even international, right? But it starts in the neighborhood. You know, it starts with one group of people saying, Hey, if you're having a tough time, come talk to us. Like we're all in this together, right. As human beings, you know? Right. Um, so that's kind of how we start. We start at the low level, the guy next door, how's everything going? Can we help you out? And then they tell other people. And then all of a sudden we're giving out dogs to all these veterans who are like have PTS and they're just like having a bad time, you know? Right. Where did that come from? Where did the dogs come from? Whose idea was it to start doing that? So when I, so any successful business needs a website, right? So when I was building my website, I'm like, I got to have a landing page. I got to have something where people can go to and just see that we do something, right? Whether it's to, you know, see what we do, generate some donations to get stuff done, whatever. When I was designing the website, I had to figure out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to take this. And obviously I wanted an events page because we do the parachute jump. We do a NASCAR race car drive. Um, we do a lot of dinners. So we have a lot of events, right? But I needed to have provide more services. So one of the services that we, I thought to put in there was dogs, right? Cause I've been doing a lot of reading, reading. We've been seeing that it takes, takes like two years for the VA to give veterans dogs, right? Service dogs. So I'm like, you know what? If I can get a dog, um, a veteran emotional support animal, right? To kind of right. just 
soothe the soul while they wait, if they even need a service dog, then I'm going to do that. So I put that on the website. Hey, if you need a, if you need a dog, we're going to get you a dog, right? right? I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just put it on the website. Right. Probably two days after the website was launched, I got a call from someone saying, Hey, I saw that you give emotional support dogs. I can't go into the winter alone again. Can you please help me get a dog? Um, he's like my last, he was a Marine. He's like my last two winters. He's like, I've been borderline suicidal. He's like, I just drink all winter alone in my house. He's a construction worker. He's like, it's just, it's, I can't go into the winter alone again. So I'm like, absolutely. So I, Dave went up, went and found a local adoption shelter, bought a fucking dog. And the next day drove the shit to his house. I was like, here you go, Marine. Here's your dog. The guy. So this is, this is the most, one of the most amazing stories ever. So I think it was like 700 bucks for me to buy a dog, right? Mm-hmm. 700 bucks. And I drove an hour down to Cape Cod. It's like an hour from where I am. Okay. He invited me into his house. I looked around his house, make sure it was good living conditions. Cause I'm not just going to dump a dog off. We had him like fill out an application, right? We did it the right way. Okay. Um, but we took pictures. It was really cool. The next day we got a call from the guy. He's like, thank you so much. He's like, you changed my life. I want to introduce you to Charlie and Pat at professional canine services in Middleborough. I was like, okay, for what? He's like, he's like, they're dog trainers. They're uh, retired vets and retired police mm. turned dog trainers. So I'm like, all right. So we did a Zoom call that week. They were like, hey, we'll get you dogs. We'll fully train the dogs. Um, and we'll give them the veterans free lifetime training with their dogs forever. Right. So I'm like, okay, is this legit? Right. So then we went and a week later. Well, rewind a bit. This guy, Mike, who we gave the dog to, who introduced us to Charlie and Pat at Professional Canine Services, is a Harley Davidson bike rider, right? Mm-hmm. So he also put together for us called um, um, Canine, um, 22 Canines Motorcycle Ride. It's a 44-mile loop, so 22 times two, down Cape Cod to generate money <clears throat> for 22 Mohawks and professional canine services to pay for our dog program. So I partnered with these guys. We're full partners now. Um, We work together every week. We pick up dogs every week. Um, It just grew overnight because we gave this dude a dog. And now um, he connected us with um, local leadership, like selectmen down the Cape. These huge restaurants are bringing us in and donating dinners to all the veterans and and giving us all the proceeds from all the... Wow. So like that one gesture... <clears throat> Excuse me. No, you're good. Opened up so many connections with just great people. I mean, it's been amazing. So because that happened for the next 10 weeks, every single week we gave a dog. So I like to do dogs oh. on Fridays, going into the weekends. It's feel good. You hand yeah, over yeah, the yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah. So amazing. And and I'm not trying to sound cheesy, you know, it's like no, but it can't help but be. I mean, it's it's a touching, moving thing. Just it really, you, really you can't not be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you can see the pictures on social media of, of like these guys' faces and how how just rewarding that is for me. You know, like yeah. I'm a vet. I served time overseas. I saw combat, and uh, that is like my purpose now. It's like I see that, and it's healing for me. You know what I mean? Um, so I can't imagine how it feels for them. What percentage of 22 Mohawks bandwidth is now spent on the dogs? Is focused on on the support animal part of it. Is that most of it now? Most of it now. Yeah. yeah. And I was talking to the yeah. team the day and they were all like, this is like our core, um, our core yeah. you know, thing now is, is yeah. doing the dogs. Um, 
Now, my, my whole thing is I have to keep everybody on track because what's the message, right? The message is veteran suicide awareness. We don't want our friends to die. Right. So the dog helps one person. Whereas like these events that we, these events that we bring vets into serve like 10, 15, 20 vets and their families at once. So and- describe that for a second, just so I'm clear, what, what kind of event are we talking about when you say you, you have these events that you bring them into? Yeah. So, okay. So I'll use the parachute event. Okay. So three months before an event, I post out, Hey, we're doing a tandem parachute to jump. We need 10 names to fill the parachutes. Got you. Okay. And then they submit their names um, between you and me and, and the, whoever's listening. I always pick every name. So if 25 names come in, it's not capped at 10. Like I'm bringing everyone in, but we start with 10 just for budgeting purposes, but we've grown so well that we can, we can facilitate more. So it brings excitement. People are submitting their names. They wait for two weeks before the event to hear their name called. And then I do a video Mohawk, and I'm like, all right, yeah, you're all in. And then, you know, we go to the event and we do dinners. We have a DJ. It's, it's really cool. But gotcha. um, at those events, um, you know, I shake hand. I'm like, yeah, I'm the founder of 22 Mohawks. I'm Dave. And they're like, oh. And then like people just want to talk to me about things like this one. I'll tell you a story if you don't. Can I tell you a quick no, story? No, please. By all means. There was this one gentleman. He flew in to attend the, the event from down south. Um, so he like stayed the whole weekend and, and flew in. And um, I was sitting there talking to him. Great guy, former army infantry guy. And he says, you know, Dave, he's like, I've actually never told anyone this. And the amount of times I've heard people start a conversation yeah. that is just unreal. I believe it. Yeah. What the fuck are they going to say? Right. Right. They tell me, am I going to have nightmares now? Um, and he was like, he's like, Dave, yeah. So I live in the South down South and, and, and it, my neighbors, they were just such assholes. He's like, it was like every night they were like shooting off fireworks and just causing a scene. And I'm just a quiet guy. I didn't want to bother anyone. I didn't want to be that, you know, typical veteran, like, ah, oh, you know, that the loud noises. So I just, I didn't say anything for like literally 15 years, Dave. I just, I let them shoot fireworks off like every other night. And it was just crazy. So one night I just lost it. I fucking lost it. I went outside and I, I was going to beeline it over to the neighbor's house. Cause they were shooting off fireworks again. And all of a sudden I realized that rounds were coming in. Rounds were coming in at me, at my feet. And he's like, I thought my neighbors were shooting at me. And he's like, it was at that moment that I realized the entire time no one was ever lighting off any fireworks at all. He's like, I was having. Holy fuck. He goes for 15 fucking years, dude. He's like, I thought he's like, I justified it in my head that somebody was lighting off fireworks until I saw rounds coming in and it clicked that it was not that it like wasn't he like snapped out of it and was like, this isn't real. Holy shit. It's that- like some sixth sense like twist right there. Wow. And I was like, holy. holy- yeah. Um. And that was, that was a story, man. I mean, holy shit. Think about having like, you know, you have a, a, a 10 second relapse. Like, oh shit. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 15 years every night. Unbelievable. Jesus Christ. Wow. So that's that, wild. And he never told anyone, you know, that's insane. So let me, so there's a whole lot in there um, that I want to unpack just in the origin story of 22 Mohawks. Um, that's definitely been my impression though, what you said that like, and now it's become very much about the service, the support animals, which to me seems good because to your point, you know, it's interesting. There are a lot of organizations that, um, at least give lip service. I I imagine most of them follow through with it too, but at least give lip service to raising awareness about veteran suicide. And I feel like, and maybe it's just my little bubble. Um, but I feel like now there's been an awful lot of conversations about veteran suicide 
what I see the problem being is nobody knows what the next step is. Okay. So there's veteran suicide. So how do you go about doing that? Because, because, I mean, you know, like there's two ways that can go. It can either become repulsive or addictive, you know? Um, So everybody's talking about suicide. So now everybody starts going, oh shit, suicide. Yeah. That might be a way out. Or they go, oh yeah. Hey, thanks for giving me a a forum to, to unleash what was already in my head. So you never know which way that cookie crumbles. Hundred percent, right? So, so it seems like having um, where you guys have morphed and now had an a, a mission that is, I'm trying to think of the right word, maybe tangible, where it's like, hey, support animals. Like here you go. Now here's a thing. Here's a line of effort that will actually move you out of whatever funk you're in. That seems really healthy to me. That seems like, and I, and it, that seems like I mean, dogs in general. Are going to be yeah. great for social and great for fundraising, but it's certainly as a therapeutic tool. Holy crap, that's like that hit that ticks so many boxes. And I wonder if it during the holidays, especially, that does reduce suicide because now you've got something to take care of if you didn't already. And it's not a plant, you know, and it, it's and it's not some distant family member that you don't see and talk to on the phone, but it's some living, breathing entity right there that you're like, shit. If I do this, there's immediate second order effects that I can see right in front of me. Right. Yep. I got to feed them. I got to take them out to go to the bathroom. I got to walk them. Absolutely. There's a purpose now. You know, the, it's, it's fine. I don't, I don't want to, uh, we don't need to get super philosophical about, but I just want to throw this out here. I mean, it does seem like, um, that suicide is an inherently selfish activity and that this is an antidote towards selfishness because, and I'm not saying that to, to, come down on somebody, but, but, um, because suicidal thoughts, like we get where they come from. We understand that and we can empathize with that, but the actual act of it is, um, solipsistic. It's narcissistic. It's, it's all about you. And, and a lot of times it's because if there's nothing else grounding you and nothing else keeping you here, you know, it, it, it makes it a more viable path to take, but, but the act of selflessness, you know, through whether it's pets or greater ties. I know patrol base Abate, you know, doing all their stuff with the different groups and everything, trying to build more of a community, something to get you out of yourself so that you're not as self-focused. And then that seems to bring around mental health. Am I overthinking this? Does that kind of make sense? No. Yeah. I think you're, I, I think you're definitely right. I, I sat with my therapist the other day and you know how they do that like annual questionnaire about suicide. Right. Like, answer these questions. Are you suicidal? Do you have suicidal thoughts? And she's like, so do you have suicidal thoughts? And I'm like, every day. Um, and I'm like, I think it's partly because I talk to people every day who tell me about all this like violent shit that's happened and like yeah. how they think. Yeah. And she's like, okay, but yeah, I get that. But like, do you have them? And I'm like, well, well yeah. Is that like a, you know, a consequence of these conversations? Right. right. And she's like, yeah, it might be. She's like, well, have you thought about how you would kill yourself? And I'm like, again, like I've heard of stories of people trying to kill themselves. So that those thoughts have been like embedded in my head to your point. like. You can go one of two ways here. Like, oh yeah, we talk about suicide. We talk about suicide, but now I'm waking up in the middle of the night fucking thinking about suicide. Right. I want to fucking kill myself. I'm like, how do we yeah. stop this shit? Like, yeah. let me look at the facts. Let me, and I'm just like a psychopath, yeah. like trying to figure out how we can stop it. You know, it's like, you can look at stats, you can look at numbers, whatever. Um, well, cause but- it's a mental, it's a mental thing. So it's like the, the contagion of your thought is as present as the thought is. You know, because it's just a thought. It's not a tangible thing. 
So the more you think about it, the more it naturally can be contagious. And I think that's um, and I think that's awesome that you're making something tangible that is something people can actually hook into and go, oh wait, well, hold on, whatever bullshit's going on up here in my brain is not as important as what's right in front of me here that I need to take care of or support or what have you. Definitely. Yeah. It's interesting work, man. It's, it's funny. I mean, I, let me, let me ask you this. I, I, I think I know the answer to this because I, I, you and I have talked about your personal story a little bit, but for me, when I was in, I didn't think about this shit. Like now that I'm out, I feel like more tied in. Like I, I remember somebody once approached me about like, Hey, you should think about doing a bike ride for wounded warrior or something. I'm like, dude, I, I'm in, I, I live this every day. I don't, I don't want to like, I, I I'm not into the veteran thing. Like I, I'm just doing my, this is my job. I'm out here. I'm thinking about the next deployment. I'm not really focused on, on all that stuff. When I got out and I suddenly realized that I was at odd angles with the rest of the world is when suddenly the veteran thing started to make sense. And I started to hook onto it. Was that kind of true for you too? Big time. Okay. Big time. You know, it, it's funny. Cause I had two, <clears throat> excuse me. I had two instances with suicide when I got into the army. Um, one was in basic training. This kid was just, he just didn't want to be there. So he said he was going to kill himself. And we all had to do like night watch on him and watch this. Yeah. Kid. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Like, knew. We've only been there for like two weeks. Right. Right. And like you could look at him and it was like, you almost knew that he was just trying to get out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I remember, I, I, I don't even want to bring this up because it's shitty, but I remember thinking like, bro, I'm like, I don't even care if you die. I'm like, you're just a pussy. Right. And he's right. sick. I have to right. stay up and watch you when we're all trying to train for this shit. <clears throat> and um, when I was still like, to your point, like when I was in, I was like, fuck this. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to like do infantry shit and I want to be a stud. You know, I can't think about anything else. Um, and then my last like two years in, I was a squad leader. I got transitioned over to the, the 82nd and uh, we got a call. One of my guys didn't show up. Well, my guy called me at like 6 a.m. He's like, hey, I'm not going to make formation. And I knew him pretty well. And I was like, all right, no problem, brother. I got accountability. He was like, I'm sick. I'm like, we'll see you at 9.30. 9.30 comes and he doesn't show. And I call him. He's like, he's like, I'm really, really fucking sick. So I go to his house and the kid had cut his wrist and was like bleeding out like on the floor. Oh, shit. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember at that moment, I'm in fucking uniform and I'm like, I'm a staff sergeant, infantry, airborne. And I'm like, you fucking idiot. I was, I like, didn't even provide aid. I was so pissed. I like wanted to knife hand him and be like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, what are you doing? You know? Cause yeah. I liked him yeah. and I like, cared about him. Yeah. I had to call the paramedics. Paramedics came in. Luckily he like missed and didn't like die obviously. But um, it like that, those are my thoughts while I was in. And then now that I got out and I'm seeing this shit happen, it's like some of the most a type hard charging motherfuckers have killed themselves. Right. Right. And I'm like, right. I can't believe that he did that. Like that was the last person I would think that this would happen. You know, it's, it's scary to think that those leaders would do, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No, li no, listen, I think you're, you're, you're totally right. It's an interesting dynamic. Cause I wonder, do you know the statistics of how many people kill themselves while they're still in versus how many kill themselves when they're out? I don't, but I know it's gone way up um, this past year for active duty. Um, oh, really? Yeah. It has gone up. Yeah. Significant amount for sure. I don't know the number though, but I'm going to find that. That's a good question. What's, what's your theory on it? Um, on, and let's, I think, cause I think there's a difference between if you're still in versus if you're out, I think, cause when you're out, I can see, you know, kind of the, 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 
the wheels are coming off the vehicle because suddenly you're slowing down. There's a lot of stuff that's, well, let me preface this because I love, I, I always love making a point of this because I think it's something that gets lost. The difference between discipline and repression that, uh, you know, a lot of times in the civilian world, they talk about, oh, you're repressing so much and all that. Um, and I sometimes uh, think that's excuse making. I'm like, hey, man, you got to be disciplined. And yes, you're going to repress certain things because that's the nature of discipline. And if you're going to go work out at 430 in the morning every day, there's going to be stuff that's repressed like sleep, you know, and stuff like that, that sometimes leads to better decision making. But you do it because there's the discipline outweighs it. And if you're going to get stuff done, there has to be a degree of discipline. So I'm not somebody that's big on like, hey, don't repress anything. It's like, no, motherfucker, if you're going to do something, you're probably going to have to repress something because that's how things get done. Life is about sacrifices and making choices, right? So that said, after any time in the military, even just one contract, there's going to be a buildup of shit that you've repressed, though. And um, because you've been exercising a degree of discipline you probably didn't have beforehand before you joined. So the issue is what now happens when that artificial discipline that's been externally applied is no longer there. And now suddenly you're like shot out of the cannon and you're just free floating in the air going, where am I going to land here in civilian world? And what is this going to look like? And whether you're retiring or whether you just separated early, you're now just, you know, hovering in midair going, I don't know how this is going to go. And that's, so to me, that seems like a lot of the, the veteran issues that come up, but for active duty or people that are still in that, what do you, in your experience, what do you, what do you think the, the causes are behind that? Where do you think the rub is? I, I thought a lot about that um, because, you know, when people kill themselves, it's like, Hey, and they're veterans, right? You're like, oh, he had PTS. He was a combat vet. Like he probably saw some shit, couldn't deal with the pain anymore. So he fucking killed himself, right? Like that's what we think, right? Stigma. Right. But I think a lot of these guys too have had like shit happen to them before they even came in. Um, some type of trauma or like parental emotional abuse that just comes out when they're under like loads and loads of stress, right? Mm-hmm. And we just don't know how to manage that even mm-hmm. by like reaching out to their squad or someone in, on their team or something. And they, they just think that that's, that's the way out. I mean, that's my theory because my buddy who tried to kill himself when he was in after the fact, um, I had a really good relationship with him and he would only talk to me. So when he was in the hospital, um, you know, leadership goes and tries to do their like leadership thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm only talking to staff Sergeant Camposano. Um, So I would go in there and he's like, listen, he's like, I just found out. He's like, my parents told me, he's like, we've my family has like generation generations of like depression and oh, yeah. other illness um because this kid was really smart fit good guy but that was there and he didn't know so it like almost like i don't want to call it like a weakness but it like led him to think that that was a good idea yeah you know? yeah did that answer your question chris no it does it does it's it, it's interesting it's an interesting dynamic um because <sighs> Yeah, it's funny pinpointing where this comes from. So I'm going to make a really bad comparison. So yeah, like I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, you know, uh, celiac disease, gluten. Wh- where was that 15 years ago? You never heard about that. You know, and it was like, where the hell did this come from? And it's sort of that way with um, with suicide in the military. Now, it's I think the easy answer is to say, well, we didn't have the GWAT in the 1990s. So that's why 
you didn't see the suicides then, but it does seem like things go. And this is, this is a glib way of saying it, and that might not be the right way to approach it, but it's, there's almost a faddish element of it where it's like, Hey, this is all, it's a mental thing. So it's not, it's not tangible. It's not an external factor that is um, a given. And that is a constant that you have to always deal with, like getting up early in the morning. You know, that's, it, it's nothing like that. It's something that is a contagious thought, which by definition is sort of a fad. That's what fads are. They're contagious fashions or contagious, you it's know, um, and it just kind yeah. of, and, and so, so to me, it, it's interesting how this is ramped up. Um, and it makes me wonder, um, I don't know. I mean, the, the, I'm throwing things out here that I've not thought through. I just want to throw them out because you have probably thought about them a lot more than me. And one of the, my thoughts is um, the psychology of people that get into the military in the GWAT in a time of war, knowing they're going to go versus the psychology of people that voluntarily enlisted in, say, the 80s and 90s. So what is that? What's the difference in that mentality? And therefore, what is the suicide rate differential and what, what's the delta in their um, experience uh, with trauma? Um, obviously, the GWAT plays a, a big role in that, but I think it's, uh, but it, I think it's also interesting that I think the percentages are like two-thirds of the suicides are non-combat vets. So it's not even people that saw combat necessarily. And um, sorry, I'm going to throw this. I know this is a bag of ideas, so there's no real question in here. I'm just throwing, <laughs> I'm kind of throwing all this shit out there. Yeah, it, it's. Um, but I know that for me, just anecdotally, when I'm getting poetry submissions and seeing a lot of the veteran writers out there, so many of them, not a, I, I don't know percentages, but a lot of them are not combat vets and are feeling incredibly stressed and guilty about not being combat vets and that that's weighing on them. And I wonder if with the end of Afghanistan and kind of the sense the GWAT is going away, if people are going, I miss my chance and there's no chance for redemption or something like that. I don't know. There's just, it's, it's interesting. The difference in psychology between what's affecting service members now versus in the previous decades when it was still a volunteer military, but just wildly different psychological circumstances and how we've seen suicide evolve as a concern. And I'm just, I'm just throwing out a bag of ideas of what, of all the different factors that are probably playing into that. So do with that as you will. It's funny that you say that because um, um, I was at a a gathering the other day and there was a a friend of mine there who was in the Coast Guard. He did like 19 years or something in the Coast Guard. Yeah. And he comes up to me and he was, um, he's like, Dave, you know, he's like, I know that you've been through way much more than me. Like I've been in the Coast Guard and stuff. He's like, one day we'll sit down and I'll tell you my story. He's like, cause I, I do have one. I do have some depression and stuff and some PTSD. And he's like, just a quick snapshot. He's like, when I was in the Coast Guard, he's like, we, we went on a mission and there was like all these dead bodies and we had to like drag all these dead bodies onto the ship and, and like bag them up and stuff. And he's like, that shit haunts me real. And he's like, but I know I can't compare it to, you know, what you did in the infantry. He's like, so I feel bad even talking about it. Cause like, you, you know, he's like, you guys were so much like cooler and did like such more violent stuff. I don't even want to put myself in that realm. And I was like, dude, I'm like, that's just, I, to me, that's like an A type personality thing. It's like, I was fucking it, it, ranger tabbed in the airborne infantry did some cool shit, but then you got 
operators in like tag right. and steels and shit. And I'm like, fuck, I was, I never did that stuff and yeah. unfinished business and I'm not worthy kind of deal, yeah. you know, but it's like, we, we all had our experiences and um, I, I just, I, but you said that and I'm like, yeah, I feel like a lot of people are like that. They're like, shit, I never pulled the trigger overseas. Like I'm, I'm a bitch, you know, I didn't do yeah. that. But like, yeah. It's okay though, because you still went in and you still did something and you're still ready to stand up for something better than yourself. And I think that that's a huge character plus, right? Um, but I beat myself up every day because I, I got injured in the, in the echo course on the last day and I never did Sage in the Q course. Sage was the last thing I had to do. And it will always, always feel like unfinished business. It's like, holy yeah. shit, we just had to do Sage. Not not just had, you know what I mean? No, no, no. Right, right, right. But you can see the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. man, uh, God, that sucks. Because, But here's the kicker on that is I saw a lot of my friends, a lot of them on Fox News over the next course of a few years, their faces. I'm like, oh, my God, Brian. Like, I literally um, go to their kid's house every single day studying. For, you know what I mean? Yeah. He gets yeah. like old somewhere in like Nigeria or something. And it's like, oh my God. So like yeah. more friends than not have been killed that uh, the Q course I would have graduated from, you know? And I mean, that's the nature of the beast, right? Yeah. But it could have been, it could have been me. So there was a reason why maybe that I didn't go. Right. I I think there's something to that. Um, I think you're, you're, you're hitting on a bunch of things that seem incredibly credible to me as ways that people can manage their mental health. And I think, you know, one of them is that you already have thought through the downsides of paths you didn't take or were, or you weren't able to take and you're more, and you've achieved a level of peace with where you are. And I wonder about that. I'm thinking of, of, of some guys um, that I know who are infantrymen who never got to deploy, or if they did deploy, they were not able to get to a combat zone and pull the trigger. And it's like losing a hard on except in your head and in your confidence and in your ego. And you're looking going, where are my wars? They're, they're not there anymore. Exactly. And, and you got to find a way of, of being comfortable in your own skin and with what, who you are and what you are. Um, and, and there's, I, I'm wondering, I mean, where do you see faith fitting into that? Do you, do, uh, I mean, if for you or just in general in your travels as you're dealing with people, the idea of, of thinking of something bigger than yourself, um, you know, if you don't have the military, is, is, do you see that as being a viable option or how has that played out for you? For faith? Yeah. I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up Catholic, went to church every Sunday and stuff. I, I truly believe that, um, um, what, what, what is it? What's the saying is um, if, you, if you talk to all the top CEOs, in the USA, they have two things in common. And the two things are, they're either one, they were an athlete at some point in their life, whether high school, college, um, they were an athlete because athletes have the discipline to see the greater picture and work towards that greater picture. Um, and the second one is um, faith because people who are mm. somewhat religious are able to see things um, that aren't really there and and focus on achieving something that they can't see yet, right? Yeah. So the, the two commonalities in CEOs is athlete or faith. Um, that whole so, subs substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen, that kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Yep. Um, thank you for making that sound better than I did. Um, no, no, no. It took me a minute. You were talking. Yeah. I had time to think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, that's how it is. And, and I, I, I remember thinking when I was in the regular army, like, I don't need someone to tell me to get a haircut every day. It just, it, it annoyed me so bad. Like, I don't need you to do that. Give me the fucking off order and you'll get the results you want. I don't want to fucking get a high and tight. And it, would just, it just made me so mad that I had to do that. It may piss people off like, oh, discipline. But like, it just made me mad. Right, right. And I always thought I'm like, I can do so much more than this because I feel like I'm so restricted in, in the things that I'm trying to accomplish because of, I guess, rules that I don't agree with, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe that sounds immature. I don't know. I, it's whatever. But now that I'm like out of the military, I've in, in having faith in the process of what's been taking place. I feel like that thought back then is true because now it's like, I'm, I meet people like you. I meet people like, um, like Charlie, um, Iman, like just good people in this community that really, really want to help others. And I feel like I'm connecting with you guys. I'm like, I'm on the right path because we're talking and we're trying to help each other out. You know, like you got me introduced, introduced to writing, man. Like, Talk, you talk, you brought up poetry and I was like, holy shit. And then you, you like helped me out and it changed the way I thought about a lot of stuff. I did reading on it and things. And, and I think that's great. what they're supposed to do for each other. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so faith is a big part. And I think the people that I've met are that faith, you know, like you guys are the ones that are like my purpose. Like other people see me like, oh, thank you for doing Mohawks. But it's like, I need people like you. I need people like I'm in. We all I'm do. Yeah, yeah, we all do. We need that support network. Yeah. Totally. And I think that that's the faith part of it. It's like, I have faith in the guys that are, have the same mindset as me and just trying to help other people. And I think that we're, we're doing good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's uh, so the other piece, and I'm just uh, going to speak bluntly, the other piece of suicide, a veteran suicide that really pisses me off is that I feel like it fits a narrative that civilians can wrap their heads around um, because we were all raised on the John Rambo tortured Vietnam vet coming back disenfranchised with the world. And there's a lot of cultural pull, I feel like, to to heighten and glorify the dysfunctional veteran narrative. And I feel like veteran suicide fits that that those parameters. And that there therefore a lot of people get behind it. And I'm not slamming those that do, obviously. It's just um there's something very easy and glib and um and too easy, I guess, about about shoehorning veterans into that narrative. Um, I know I've had people, even ones that are close to me, if I'm angry, it, they go, or, or is it PTSD? Or, are you going to kill yourself? I'm like, motherfucker, I'm just angry about something else. It's almost like asking a woman if she's in a bad mood and going, oh, is it your period? Is it that time of the month? Like, it's like, it, it, why, why is that the issue? Why, you know, but it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's a one size fits all solution for your demographic for this category. Oh, you're a veteran. Therefore you must have X, Y, and Z. And it's not to say veterans don't have struggles that are unique to the community. Of course we do. Um, but it seems like it makes it an easy answer for people to opt out and, and check that box and go, yeah, I'm going to be this victim, um, because society expects it of me. And it's not a conscious decision. It's just natural cultural emphasis that people put a lot of weight on this. And so as a result, veterans go, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, not all veterans, but that there's there's a cultural temptation to embrace that. 
Does that, am I onto something or am I uh, yeah, overthinking it? And if you look at like other demographics too, I feel like they probably feel the same way about, about them, right? Like, um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I totally agree, agree with what you're saying. And it's like, I, I think some people do kind of fall down there. My, my brother said this the other day. He was like, um, he's like, Dave, he's like, he's like, I agree with, with, with what you're doing with that stuff. But like, uh, I think a lot of these vets, like, use this, the PTSD for like, um, you know, ways to be like, Oh, woe is me. Like, come help me out. And he's like, I just don't agree with that stuff. I think it's like weak shit. And like, and I'm like, okay, to an extent, I think there are onesies and twosies who kind of do that, but that is the stigma. It's like, we almost create our right. Right. And I was like, no, Johnny, no. Um, but he did make a point because I think that there are people out there that kind of capitalize on that and be like, Oh, I have all this stuff going on, whether it's at home life, um, work, try to get out of work. Like, um, I mean, I guess who really knows, but well, and also, I I mean, and and let me, let me argue the other side of the coin. There is something, um, I think about the changing world that we're in where veterans come out of the service and go, wait, what the fuck happened while I was gone? Wait, huh? Wait, what's happening now? What, what's, what's the common prevailing cultural, you know, uh, momentum like I, whoa, uh, you know, and, and then when you separate, you're kind of left going, wait, I'm expected to fit in with what now? Like, Hey dude, this isn't uh, like, and, and that definitely leads to a sense of alienation and a sense of, um, you know, not knowing how to fit in. So you go, okay, well shit. Yeah. Then I guess my, my tribe is going to be something that's going to be afflicted by this because I'm going to deeply associate with all the, the good and the bad of the veteran community. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you said the word tribe. I don't know if I heard this on probably one of your podcasts about when you leave the tribe and how you essentially like leave part of your soul with the tribe. And then you're like, the warrior is lost now. Yeah. Once they no longer have their tribe. Was it one, was it one of your podcasts? I think if, if it was, it wasn't me. It was somebody smarter than me said it, but yeah. Yeah. Talking about like, you know, we've spent our, you know, a decade or so like in the same tribe of people or same, you know, platoon group, whatever. And then you, you leave that and it's like, uh, you leave a part of you <clears throat> with the tribe and then you're like a lost, <clears throat> a lost warrior or something. It was some like, you know, really deep words or something, but um, it like makes sense. You know, you've lived a certain way for so long. You've, and you know, you, you, you willingly walk into violence with a group of guys and you share those hardships and then you get out. And like me, I'm like at my desk every day alone, you know? Right, right, right. And this is so fucked up. Like I need like, you yeah, know, yeah, um, yeah. How much do you think Afghanistan has played? And, and by Afghanistan, I mean, the, the conclusion of Afghanistan has played into this because, um, I mean, talk about alienation from the civilian world. It's it's like, oh, the civilian world decided to intrude on our shit again. And y'all fuck this up. OK, so now we got, you know, and now you're looking at your work, your deployments, all that stuff and going, OK, so what was all for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you're somebody that hasn't. Um, been in, in those combat zones, you're going, well, there goes my chance to ever make a meaningful contribution there. Um, I want to empathize with my veteran brothers, but I don't have that experience. So that's, that's, I'm blocked off from that and all the stresses that come from that. Is that a real thing? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, in my head, I, I'm thinking like, Hey, you know, the war eventually had, we had to end it, Right. Um, the way that it ended, was not ideal. Right. I mean, just kind of pulling everybody out last minute. I mean, that was horrible. But I, I remember during the, those three months right after my phone did not stop ringing. 
I had calls from guys who I was served with when they were private and now they're in E7 and they've done like five tours and they just call me and they would just fucking hammer down, you know, and I wouldn't say anything. Um, I mean, I have guys who are sergeant majors who would call me and be like, you believe this fucking shit drinking their like, you know, Coors Lights and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Way out west, like this is crazy. And then, um, to me, and they, they obviously call me because of where I've positioned myself with the 22 Mohawks thing. Yeah. Um, but in those calls aren't suicide calls, but they're definitely reach outs. Yeah. 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 Someone who they think is not going to judge them. And that it made me feel good that we're onto something here. Like we are totally onto something with, with what we're doing because these senior leaders are now calling Dave who's a civilian now and just wants yeah. to talk. So I'm not trying to go down a rabbit hole here, but um, no, yeah. no, no, it's a, it's a rabbit hole worth going down actually. Cause I was, it actually made me think, I mean, how do you manage, how are you planning on managing to do this in your spare time? I mean, this sounds to me like this is because, because you got to stop that momentum early on. And those early conversations are the ways you can do that, but you're now becoming the full-time Dr. Phil. You're, 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 you're kind of, being that first call for a lot of people, doesn't this become a full-time job at some point? It's so, all right. So my, my day job, it's finance. So I'm literally like building portfolios and like sitting at my desk, sitting in meetings and stuff. So like, if somebody calls me and I'm not like in a meeting, I can easily just turn and pick up my, my personal phone, you know? Okay. Um, But yeah, it, my days are long and they're filled with like a lot of, a lot of calls, a lot of meetings for 22 Mohawks. So I could totally turn this into a full-time job. And that's, I, it is kind of an ultimate goal of mine. I'm actually going back to get my master's degree. I'm starting next week, actually, to get my MBA in nonprofit focused. So I can actually- Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's some things that I'm seeing that I'm like, holy shit, I don't know how to manage that. I don't even know how to think about that. I need to get some actual education on it. Um, so wow. it made sense to kind of tap back into my GI Bill and just got some education on it. Um, but That's I think, freaking awesome. Wow. Yeah. I think after I get that, I'm going to really, really see if I can kind of transition to make this kind of a full-time thing and put a, put more systems into place. It's, it's great that I have a good team of people that can actually like keep us all on track. If I'm like out of the loop, I think it's really, really important. Um, but I, I do think that there is an opportunity to turn this into something far bigger than it is and just help so many more people. I just got to put the the time in and put pen to paper and put yeah, in yeah. place. Otherwise it's just going to be an ideas that go and then just get lost. You know, are you still writing? I, yes, I am. I am. And Oh, and I wanted to bring this up at some point. I'm glad you actually brought this up. The, uh, our first conversation in Boston at that restaurant, I forget what Cleary's. Cleary's. Yeah, Cleary's. Yeah. 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 You brought up something that I've been thinking about like almost every day about um, the girl, right? Uh, how a, I'm a glad warrior, you brought this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How a, a warrior like thinks about a woman. You can probably talk about it better than I can, but how a warrior like thinks about a woman and does things because of a woman to show like um, strength and power and a type personality. And the woman's going to think I'm cool because I jump out of planes and have a ranger tab and you know, she's going to want to marry me, right? The beautiful, like, fantasy figure, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and because of that, I've actually um, been writing. I just literally sit and type for, like, 20 minutes every night about a story that I've made up in my head about that. Um, everything's yes. not made up. The story, right, right, the right. information that I'm putting on paper is kind of 
tweaked. Yep. I'm, I'm thinking. Um, and I, and I go back and I read it like at lunchtime sometimes and I'm like, I'm fucked, man. Like this, I wonder who else thinks this way about like chicks, you know? <laughs> Dude, no, I, I think, I think a lot of people do. Dude. I'm, well, first off, I'm thrilled you're writing it. That sounds fucking badass. Um, that's awesome. Uh, I, that, the, yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's, that's such a great tool, not just to think the thing through, but um, I bet you'll find something really awesome comes out of it. Um, I'd be interested to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, my whole life I've written in bullet points, you know, like throughout the yeah. Army, yeah. Points and stuff. And that's yeah. kind of how like I write. So like when I did that poetry piece, it almost was like natural yeah. for me to write that way. Yeah. But that's now that good. I'm like kind of writing, writing, I'm like, I don't, is that going to fly on like a typical, like, Hey, you, listen, it, the writing's in the editing, you know, just get it down it. on paper, you know, and it's like all those future drafts are where, where the ideals start to crystallize and, and take its own, on its own form. But at least getting that first draft down and getting those ideas out there, okay. that's your raw clay. And then you know, it's like Michelangelo said, he's like, you know, I don't, I don't build a sculpture. I take a block and then I just carve away everything that doesn't belong, you know, yeah. and that's kind of what you're doing. You're just putting the clay out there and then you'll take away everything that doesn't belong in subsequent drafts. That, that to me seems, um, I just where your head's at with that though seems like a really great place to do great, great writing. That's, yeah. that's like a great writer's mindset. It's cool. Like I really, sometimes I'll sit there and I'll think for like 20 minutes and I won't even write. And I'm like trying to just think about how I want it to come out. Like with words, you know, yeah. that's it, freaking awesome. It's the woman, man. That's, that's what it is. So, so the woman thing is really interesting. Um, you know, we started uh, curating all this poetry I. Uh, it was really interesting to me how much of it was focused on not just sex, but longing, um, desire in general, um, affection. And it didn't matter who it was, was doing the writing. It could be, you know, a, a junior soldier. Uh, it could be an experienced NCO. It could be uh, a female male. Um, veteran, immediate family member, veteran. It didn't matter, but all of this stuff that falls under the the big heading of you know veteran poetry, yeah. a large part of it is about um, kind of let's call it the pointy tip of the spear of interpersonal relationships. You know, so whether that's the lust, the loss, you know, whatever it is, all those aspects are take up a lot of the bandwidth. Which kind of to our to the point you were bringing up to me means that, yeah, I think that even though, like you'd said at the time, I remember when we talked about it, you were like, Hey man, I was in an all male unit. So I wasn't necessarily thinking about women, but it does make me think that we make the choices to be with an all male unit or to go for our Ranger tabs or to go for, you know, a tier one thing or, you know, whatever it is, because there is some part of you that wants that wants to say, yeah, I did do that. And there is a status thing and there is a sense of, okay. So for me, sorry, and I'm, I'm not being as articulate about this as I want to be, but oh, please, please. But it, for, for me, there was a, there's a sense of, and, and let me be clear. I was not a cool guy by any stretch of the imagination by on anyone's metrics. Um, but for me, there was a sense that before I go back and I'm happy in a relationship and have a happy home, I need to have pushed as hard as I could for whatever I could. And if I can't do that, I'm going to be restless when I'm home. 
And so if it's austerity, if it's stress, if it's whatever, take it, accept it, go as hard as you can, because that's the only way I'll be able to rest when I'm home. And then I'll be able to stay home. And I, it took me a while to kind of figure that, that was me. Does that, do you have any part of that or what was it for you as you've kind of thought about your motivations? Um, yeah, I, I mean, growing up, I was always an athlete and I kind of wanted to push the limits as an athlete. Um, and there was always that like, you know, distant thought of like, you know, maybe I'll be like a hero or something. And, you know, some beautiful model will fall in love with me because I've done some crazy shit. Right. Know? Right. Right. Um, I don't want to say it was like my full motivation, but there was always a thought there in the past about like, about, you know, it'll fall into place. Like if you're yeah. doing that, it'll fall into place. It'll fall into place. Giselle, yeah. Giselle's going to find Tom Brady. Right. He will, she will yeah. go on some show somewhere and she'll say, I would date Dave. You know? right. And I'll call her. Right. Amazing. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm still young. I'm only, 50. <laughs> but, um, now like I, I have time to think about it and like, what's really motivate motivated me, you know, now. And I'm like, I was pretty cool. I was physically fit. Like I kicked indoors. I carried a gun. I was fucking awesome. And now I'm like doing finance. If I wasn't working from home, I'd be like wearing a suit with gel tear. Um, and there's some pretty bad dudes in this field, like with like in hedge funds and stuff that are like, Oh, that dude's pretty cool. You know, like in every, all like that that writer is like a stellar writer. Right. 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 You've put on havoc. And I'm like, that guy's fucking awesome. He's an awesome writer. Right. Um, But, um, but, but I think I'm like, okay, do I want to, go balls to the walls and be like this millionaire, like finance portfolio manager. And like, is that going to bring the, the Giselle, right? Right. Will it bring her for the right reasons, you know? Yeah. Or, and then I look at like 22 Mohawks and I'm just like surrounded by like big hearts. Yeah. Great people. Yeah. Like just such nice yeah. people. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not cutthroat like I am in my day-to-day job, like hard charging, trying to bring in a dollar, trying to get the best clients. In 22 mocks, it's like, I'm handing off dogs. And like the looks that we get from people, yeah. not just me, is just like, we fucking love you, man. You yeah. Know? yeah. And it's like, is that going to breed a Giselle? Probably. Yeah. But because it's <laughs> interesting while you're saying that, what I'm thinking is it's like, it's the scaffolding. It's like that desire for the ludicrous, like, oh, yeah, the supermodel's going to fall in love with me because I went to Afghanistan a couple of times or something. It, that starts to burn off. And the reality, which can be ju- not just not just as rewarding, but actually more rewarding because it's appropriate, actually comes to life if you're on purpose. But and the fantasy se- seeps into, you know, just morphs into a reality that actually you deserve and are going to enjoy and is going to be appropriate, but you almost need that to get off the couch. You yeah. almost need, you almost need that image of Giselle to go. Yeah. I can't lie here on the fucking couch. I, I got to go fucking do something. Exactly. I need to pick things up and put them down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, totally. And and I want to be clear, like, that's not why we do 22 Mohawks, but it's just like the way. No, 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 but a hundred, but no, a hundred percent. But it's, it, so this goes back to the old, I, it, this isn't a Woody Allen. Woody Allen kind of popularized the jokes about this, but uh, I think it was, uh, oh God, I don't know my philosophers well enough. Anyway, I'll, I'll leave somebody smarter than me to look up which Norwegian said this. But anyway, uh, that whole idea that everything you do in life is either because of sex or death. And 
I remember the first time I heard that and I was like, huh, I was like, that seems like a real nihilistic way of looking at things. But what I've learned over the years is actually there's a lot to it. And the, the idea about I'll, I'll take death first, just because I think it's interesting. It's not that death is good, but without death, you wouldn't do anything in life. If we were just immortal, what's your motivation to get up and go to work every day? What's your motivation to make money? You know, it's like right. it has a real that idea of death has a real purpose in your life. You know, <laughs> and you're nice to people. You, you want to interact. You want to make some connection because we're only here for a little bit. You know, uh, without that, what the hell else are you doing? Same thing though, when it comes to sex. Without that image of sex, without that that initial allure of it, especially when you're younger as a guy there's not a lot of motivation to go do stuff. It's like, why not just, you know, try to be um, trying to think who I want to demean here. And I really don't want to demean anybody, but uh, you know, just what, what, what low stakes, easy gig can I take versus the idea of like, yeah, let me go embrace the suck. Let me get after it. You know, you need that. You need to go. Yeah. There's going to be a, because that pinup model in my garage, that's what I want. And then right. you'll realize that that's not real and all that down the road, but that's what gets you up out of bed. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I want to, uh, God, I want to finish up this writing and send it to you, man, because you're going to laugh at how, I would like, fucking how, love to see it. Oh my God. Like how I think about it. it I'll just give you one snippet of it. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. One of the lines is, um, you know, I cleaned my kitchen today, you know? And it's like, why the fuck did I clean my kitchen today? I don't, I didn't need to clean my kitchen, but I did because who knows, maybe she'll come over today and I want to have a fucking clean kitchen. You know, it's like, it's like the way you think about it, you know, like we do things that we wouldn't normally do or give a shit about because of someone else. Right. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Well, 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 no, that's right. And Cause it's funny. Cause it kind of comes back to the, the suicide thing that we were talking about before, where one of the, a cure can be to care so much about someone else that it takes away the, the inherent narcissism of going, let me end my own life. You know, it makes you go think outside yourself and, and, and think selflessly same way that initial testosterone of like, Hey, I want to fuck everything. And I'm just walking around like a, with a raging heart on yeah. is, is this is, is morphs into the selfless thing of there. I want to be loved and I want to love somebody. And I, you got to burn through those, those, that initial testosterone, and go out there, work it out, sweat it out, get stressed, you know, do some actual things in life and you'll end up leveling out. But that's what, that's, what's necessary to, to get you to start thinking about somebody else and think outside yourself, even though it takes on what you can argue is a sexist or, you know, inappropriate or whatever vibe early on, that's actually the motivation to get you up and moving. Absolutely. And it can be something small too, you know, some minute thought that resonates around something way larger that you're just like, you know what, I'm going to go um, shine my shoes today because that's just what I'm going to do. Yeah. I just realized I just gave carte blanche to everybody that wants to be super sexist and make inappropriate <laughs> jokes and sexually harass people. And I guess I, I, know, I know it should go without saying <laughs> that that's not what I'm saying, but, but I do, but it is, well, it is, let me, okay. Let me, let me make sure I, gauge my words carefully here. It, it's, it's not obviously sexual harassment is a different category and a yeah, different yeah. animal, but certainly the idea of like, let's, let's say the MTV videos of like hot chicks dancing in bikinis. Yeah. That's a major motivational factor for young men. 
sometimes for old men too, but, but That's certainly true. for young men, but, but it's a lot of it. I mean, not to justify all of it. And, you know, we know it's immaturity. We know it's a fantasy. We know it's illusion and bullshit and not real and, and um, not always appropriate. But the reason why it exists is because it does get that motivation. And if it's if the motivation is captured correctly, it can lead to you doing good things because you ideally want that. And yeah. maybe the harm is when instead people think, I don't have to do shit. I can lie here on my couch, smoke dope all day, and go on Instagram and still get that. That's where then it starts to become a real toxic thing because it's like, no, exactly. dude, you want the instant gratification without actually doing the fucking work. and yeah. and working for it by which you will burn away that illusion yep. and now become something and now actually find what is natural and real and substantial. And it's the action piece too. Like we, you have your thought and if you don't do anything, there's going to be no result. Right. So you, you have to take the action to, to get there. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah that's what happens. It's like people go on Instagram and like, Oh, Hey, what's up. And then it's just like, I'm going to eat potato chips and sit on the couch. Cause I don't have to do any work. Um, the truth. Do you yeah. find that? Do you find yourself going down Instagram rabbit holes a lot since you guys are so active on social? Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's the fucking worst, right? Oh, it's so bad. And I, and I think about it too. I'm like, what am I doing three hours later? Oh God. I'm like, oh my God. You know what I mean? Um, it's so distracting. It's like, you got to like put it a discipline, right? You got to put yeah. it down and just like put the hammer to the nail, but yeah, no, I totally do. And, totally it's, do. and it sucks because I, I, I see so many upsides to social, but Jesus Christ, once you stop being a dealer and you start being a user, oh my God. Yeah. It's a, yeah. yeah it, it's freaking brutal. Listen, I want to ask you about um, the uh, some other aspects of your story particularly, because I think there's an awful lot there to mine. Um, talk, so you had you really went for SF much later in your career. Right. Because you had already put in, you know, well over a decade by the time you started veering that course. Um, and I just want to ask about your mental state with that. Um, what was your thinking? What was your uh, why did it take so long to kind of make that pivot? And, um, you know, what was you, what was going through your head with that? Because I don't think we've ever really talked about that. Yeah. So my, the beginning of my career, there was kind of a, um, an issue. So I, I had joined, got in. And went in a ranger regiment right away. Um, and I was in rip and I ended up breaking my foot. I'm like injury prone or something. Okay? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Right? And while I was in hold to go to the next rip class, now RASP, um, my daughter, my baby's mother was pregnant with my daughter. So I asked the cadre, I was like, hey, can I take a week off and fly home? Like the class doesn't stop for another three weeks. And they granted me to leave. The night I got home, my daughter was born, literally the night. Wow. She was born two months early. So she was premature. She was born two pounds. And um, so I'm like, I was panicking because I was a young private. I'm like in Ranger Regiment, scared for my fucking life every single day. Yeah, you know? right, right. Um, and I called down there and I was like, hey, listen, this happened. Can I extend my leave? And they were like, stand by, Ranger. An hour later, the fucking battalion commander called me. The battalion commander. And he's like, hey, David, he was like, wicked nice guy. He's like, so you, your baby was born premature? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, he's like, same thing happened to me. He's like, so is there any like units close by your house that we can kind of assign you to? I was like, the 10th Mountain Division is, because I'm thinking infantry. I'm like, you're going to send me to an infantry unit, you know? Yeah. I'm like the 10th Mountain Division is like six hours away. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, is there a recruiting battalion? 
nearby. I'm like, yeah, there's a fucking, I can spit on the next recruiting station. Yeah. Two days later, he's like, all right. He's like, take a week, fly down here, get your shit. He's like, you're being reassigned to New England recruiting battalion. So I was like, how do you fall into this and then come out? You know what I mean? It was unreal. <clears throat> flew down there, got my shit, flew home. I was stationed in the recruiting station that I was recruited out of in Westwood, Massachusetts, which is 10 minutes from my house with all these people I went to high school who were assigned there too. I'm like, this is insane. Wait, why were they all there? Because they all got like reassigned there too. Just out of sheer luck. But the, and you guys are all like only like what a year or two in? Um, no, they were they they had been in the recruiting for a couple of years. Like they were like seniors. Holy now. shit! Okay, all right. hilarious. Wow. Um, so I'm like working for people who I knew from high school. Um, and then I did like I ended up doing like a year and a half in recruiting, just like kind of being like a combat multiplier, like calling people. Like it was weird. And then and what were you, were you? You were still private at this point. I was, yeah, I ended up getting promoted to corporal while I was there. So I went up like two ranks. So, um, no, I actually ended up getting promoted to sergeant while I was there. Wow. So I got promoted to wow. sergeant, new recruiting battalion. And then they sent me to the 10th Mountain Division. So I'm an E5, only grew up in recruiting battalion. And Holy now shit. Am, and then they're like, hey, you got to lead a team. And I like had no idea about how to fucking clean a saw. Like I was way out of my wow. league. Wow. But I sat with all my guys and had them teach me how to do everything. So it wasn't like, I'm not an idiot. So like, I knew how to like figure everything out. So I did, it was good. And then I went to, I was physically fit and I'm like, I want to do reconnaissance ever since I was a little kid. That's how, that's what made me join the military is I wanted to do recon. Cause remember like the LERPs and yeah. Oh, those were yeah. my books. Did like, you ever read that book? Recondo? I did, yeah. I read oh all. my god, that fucking book! Uh, yeah, those like, books were awesome. Yeah, uh, the shit that they would do—the snatching tabs oh. and fucking yeah, just, like, yeah, yeah. Knife and it was awesome. Like that's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah, like, there's a reconnaissance platoon. Like I want to do that, so I went and they brought me in the reconnaissance platoon. And then, like within three months, I was in Ranger School. And then, as soon as I graduated Ranger School, I was back for two weeks, and then went to Iraq. So I was like in a rec- recon platoon for you know a couple months went to ranger school, then went to Iraq. And like, here I am, like now I'm like a seasoned guy. When I'm in Iraq, I get promoted to staff sergeant. Right. So I'm really like not super experienced, but I was like, go getter, you know? And like people liked me. So they were like, yeah, let's go sergeant camp. Like, let's do this. So like, I was like leading a squad in Iraq, like literally having only been in the infantry for maybe like a year and a half, you know, I I did prove myself. Right. I went. Yeah, sure. Sure. Where were Uh, you in Iraq? I was in Belladia. So it was okay. like, right I, I didn't do Iraq, so I don't know Iraq very well, but okay. Where, what, like what's Sada the deal city, with that? Right outside Sada City. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And what yeah. year was this? This was 09. 09. Yep. Okay. So right. at that time, so at that point, were there already rumblings happening that we were going to leave Iraq? Because that was Obama administration. Was there any sense that, that things were going to wind down? Good call. So we were like, we were there for six months. They're like, hey, we're leaving in seven months. So like yeah. we had a date to leave and then they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. We ended up doing a year, but we were like one of the last convoys to pull out. So like we were pulling out of there, but we were still like running patrols and getting fucking blown up. It was bizarre because like it was supposed to be over, but we were like still like getting in ticks and shit. It was insane. Um, so like we were one of the last patrols to leave. And then we went to that wow. huge, was it Ali Salim or something? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Ali Salim, like this huge, huge fucking base on fob on, on in iraq and there was like a pool and there was like 
Air Force, like National Guard girls, like running around. There was like buses and movie theaters. I'm like, this is Iraq. I, I was, I was blown away. Like we lived in a fucking, um, a jailhouse, you know, with like, it was just disgraceful. Um, and then seeing that that was like right down the street, I'm like, oh my God, we could have just like worked out of this, but I'm glad we didn't. But uh, crazy. Um, but so I get back from that. So while I was in Iraq, I'm like, I'm going to train because I want to go. I feel like I can do better than this. I feel like I should be on a small team and do like actual like surveillance and reconnaissance. Um, I was a dreamer, man. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was a dreamer. I no, yeah. Shit. Yeah. So I got back and I, I went to RRD selection, uh, Ranger Reconnaissance Detachment. Okay. Selection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in order for me to do that, I had to like get my ASVAB score up. I had to do a bunch of stuff. So I studied, okay. took the ASVAB again, got a high. So you score. could do that without being in Ranger Bat. You you could do that as a tenth mountain guy. You could. You just okay. had to go through RASP after. So I would have, if I had got selected, I would have went right to RASP. Yeah, oh, that's weird. They didn't select some of the guys that made it through RRD. They're like, no, we don't want you. Wow. In wow. RRD, pissed. But I, so I went through RRD, and it's it's like a, they call it a mini keg. Like you're like right, in right. mountains all day, every day, land nabbing. Right. Um, and again, I made it to the fucking second to last day and I only found one point and you have to like be consistent with how you like land nav. And they're like, sorry, dude. Like it was pretty amazing though, how they like, I was on a mountaintop. I didn't make it. They drove me to get my gear. And then they drove me to the airport. I was back in 10th mountain division in like three hours. It was fucking crazy. But that was like the most professional yeah. shit I've ever done is go through RD selection. So that didn't happen. And my sergeant major was making fun of me. He's like, you're fucking nuts. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going SF. So I filled out my packet to go SF. And then um, I actually tried to go to SF when I was in recruiting and didn't get selected. Um, it was just growing pains. I didn't really know. Like, what do you mean? You like, you went through it, but you were a non-select. Yeah. Through, so you'd gone through, you went through selection while you were in recruiting battalion. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and you made it through, but you were a non-select. Exactly. Yep. Fuck me, man. Yep. Um, so much. So shit. Wait, 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 just hold on, just for people that may not fully appreciate what that means, because non-select after making it through selection, especially when you were, in, I mean, just okay. So that's crazy. Because here, I just thought you were just doing cake time and recruiting battalion. Like you made it sound like, yeah, I was just coming. You know, recruiting battalion grew me up, and then I went to the infantry and all <laughs> that. You'd gone through SF selection while you were there, and you I made did. it, yep. but. So just, just for a second, talk about what that was like to be a non-select, like, I mean, the emotions, the feelings, all that, like that's a, that's a significant moment in some dude's life when they're turned down like that. Right. I was pretty shocked. I was like, damn, I did all that stuff. Cause like my physical fitness scores were like, hi, I was good in rocking and like, like everything was good. Um, I think I didn't hit like a couple of the things that they wanted to see on the target on the bullet. Like I was like way out on one of them and they were like, we just went out selecting you. And I think at that time frame, um, I, I just sucked. I just wasn't, I, I don't think I was fully ready. And they were like, yeah, you're a non-select, but, um, so yeah, it, it, it didn't sound like it bothered you that, that much, like it bothered you, but it wasn't like you, you didn't take this super hard. It doesn't seem like. Yeah. I was like, you know, I'm like, um, I got to just work on some shit and figure that out and, and maybe come back. Um, and then I went back in recruiting and here's the kicker. So I was, uh, I did triathlons when I was in recruiting and I ended up getting on the all army triathlon team in 2008. So I was like, <laughs> you had the most eventful time <laughs> in recruiting battalion. Either. Like that, that. Yeah. That anyone's ever had. Yeah. Holy shit, man. So like that kind of, I was like, Oh shit, I'm on the all army triathlon team. I'm, I'm pretty fit. I might as well go to SF selection. So I went to SF selection after that. 
Um, is this all because you weren't an NCO yet? And so like nobody was really banking on you to be a recruiter. So you exactly. just had time to get ready. Exactly. Yeah. Like I would wow. leave the office and go swim and shit and like go ride my bike. And like, everyone's like, Oh, where are I? I'm like, Oh, um, you know, doing this other stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, as long as I made like 200 calls in the morning, they didn't care what I did, but, um, Fuck, man. okay. But yeah. So, so, anyway, I, so sorry. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I took you down that path. So sorry. So, so now you're going, you're out of RRD selection. That's all done. Now you're thinking you're going to go SF. So then I, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to go back to SF selection. And at that point, like I, I knew how to land nav, like I, I knew how to land nav, like without a fucking map, like I could read terrain. It was like going to the bathroom, man. You just know how to wipe your ass. Like I, I knew exactly how to do everything. So I was like, I'm confident. I'm going to go in here and I'm going to get selected as long as I don't get fucking injured. Um, and of course I went in and, and got selected and uh, I was like, all right, good. Like check the block. Let's go. I'm good. Went through all the training, went through SUT, went through SEER, um, went through all those, went through language school, uh, did everything, because the way that the pipeline went was language school was first. So we did language school. What'd you do? Did, what language you do? Um, Spanish. My scores were pretty low. I still don't even know what the hell I'm, I can't even speak English, as you can tell, probably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good, man. That's funny, though. Yeah. Um, do, did that mean, so did that mean you automatically, you, you knew you were going to be heading to like seventh group or something? Exactly. Or? Because yep. of that, okay. So it would have been seventh group, which yeah. would have been at the time they like once you reenlisted because I would have been in my window it would have been like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar bonus. Yeah, and sure. Right to oh, like, yeah. you know. Um, wow. But uh, yeah, so yeah, so I got through, got to the um, the Echo course, the sergeant, uh, communication sergeant course, and um, I mean, holy shit, dude! I've never carried a load that heavy. Like we would carry like three radios, five batteries, wires, like you fucking name it. We would carry it. And I remember weighing my pack and it was like 138 pounds or something, you know? And you had to do like the, the trek, the long, whatever they call, I forget what it was. I think it was the trek where it was like five days back and forth, just walking, doing your comm shots and stuff. And um, I remember like the second day, my foot went completely numb. And like, that was the week in February where there was a huge storm on the East coast. Mm. Right. So like even North Carolina got like a foot and a half of snow, yeah. but we were already out in the field. So they didn't pull us out. They're like, just deal with it. You're SF like, right. Right. Shit. Um, but they couldn't get buses out there anyways, even if they wanted us to leave. So but right. I'm coming from 10th mountain. So I'm like packing lips, like in the fucking blizzards, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Rocks, and everyone's like, what the fuck? Like it was nothing for me, you know, right. just because of the environment that I had been in. Um, but I remember, yeah, my foot went, went numb and my back was just so sore. I'm like, this is just part of the deal. Like right. I'm hunched over fucking carrying all that weight, like whatever you just deal with it. And on the second last day, I'm like, Hey, I'm like, I need to see a medic. I'm like, my, my leg isn't fucking completely numb. And they were like, dude. So they sent me to like the surgeon and the surgeon's like, dude, you're fucking done. He's like, your back's fucked. Like you like did some stuff. And like, I ended up getting an MRI and he was like, yeah, he's like, He's like, why the fuck didn't you say something when this first happened? And I'm like, I actually thought my foot was numb because of the cold and the oh, snow. Yeah. Um, but he's like, well, was your other foot numb? I'm like, no, I just thought I had like less. <laughs> One <laughs> foot know? was tougher than the other. That was my good yeah, foot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. He's like, all right, man. He's like, you're pretty much done, dude. So um, they, uh, yeah, they, they ended up medically discharging me. They sent me over to the 82nd after that to just kind of be like an ops guy. So I like, went to the 82nd and ended up working for an old first sergeant that I knew just like doing op stuff. Cause I was trying so, to, fight hold 
they're trying to medically retire you for having a bad back and they send you to an airborne unit where you're still going to have to jump. Um, yeah, no, I didn't even, I didn't even end up, end up jumping. I ended up just, uh, doing, um, well, no, no, actually, yeah, I did jump. I jumped a bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah. Go army. That's, that's because smart. I was, thinking. Yeah, yeah. Cause I was trying to fight to get medically retired. So they were like, all right, go deal with this on like in, a, in an infantry unit or whatever. Um, there was some stuff that went on. I, I can't remember the full story, but. And they yeah, couldn't just did. send you to a leg unit. They had to send you to an airborne unit because you have because a bad back. Like brag or something like, yeah, just. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, and it, you know, whatever. I didn't end up getting medically retired. Like, you're not, you're not injured enough. I'm like, oh, okay, but I'm injured enough to get kicked out, obviously. Um, but so, yeah, so that's. What was it? What 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 did the, what was the diagnosis? I had so I had um bulging discs, I think L1 S up to S4 and then I had like severe neuropathy in my left leg where like the nerve in my left leg was like wicked fucked up, but like they couldn't like really diagnose what was going on with it. And to be honest with you, I honestly believe that it was because of just tying my boots with a nerve sat on my leg i think it just pinched it off i don't think it had to do with any type of abuse i think it was just me tying my boots in the nerve placement you know um just for all the, all those years you mean just uh, yeah and were, so you were always tying it were you the guy that was always tying around the um like your calf like you come I up stopped, and you tie it around i yeah. stopped doing that yeah and i yeah. actually do laces so i'd lace the bottom with one set of laces and then lace the top of another set so my foot could move you know yeah 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 Okay. So, so now when you're, um, when you're separated, what's your transition like? Because now that's gotta be a letdown, right? So where I was very fortunate was, was I knew they were going to medically discharge me. I was just waiting for the time to happen, right? For the date to happen. So I had the time to figure out a plan. So what I did was, was I got all my ducks in a row to get vocational rehab where instead of the GI bill, so voc rehab, if you don't know, it's essentially, they pay for your program. So if you're going to be a doctor, they pay for the entire program, whereas the GI bills, um, up to 36 months or something. Right. So voc rehab will pay for your entire program. If it's approved, whether a doctor or not, and then you can, they buy you laptops, they pay for all your supplies. Whereas the GI bill is like a thousand bucks a semester. Right. Um, so I got approved for that, got accepted to school. So I knew when I was getting out, I knew that school started like I got out August one school started like September 7th or something. So I got out, went right into school. So there was like no time for me to really think about anything. And your vocational rehab was for financial planning or. So I was to be a real estate attorney because it was in my head. I'm like, let's extend this out as long as I think that I'm capable of. And I was going to go to law school. So get my undergrad, do two years of law school. Gotcha. Um, and get paid because they still pay the G, the, the cost of living, right? The cola. Right. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to absorb that, go to school and then get that. But while I was in school, I realized that I could make the same salary doing like financial advising, you know? So I kind of cut that off and then just went and spent time getting like my series seven, series six, uh, my life insurance licenses. So I spent time on that so I could get market myself. Right. But Year one at school, they hired me as a, I worked in a bank as a, um, like a mutual fund guy and they paid for me to get my licenses. So I was working full time and going to school full time to kind of, you know, accelerate my experience level so I could, you know, make the money to, you know. So, so talk about the, why you chose that. So to me, 
So let's go, let's dovetail this back to uh, the pursuit of the eternal female. So, I mean, if you're going from like trying to, trying to be the best Joe you could possibly be trying to do all this high speed stuff, the universe keeps going. No, not now. No, not now for one reason or another. Now you're medically separated. So now there, you're not going to be the star athlete. You're not going to be, you know, the cool guy with a beret. Yet it seems like it didn't really phase you. Like you were mentally resilient enough that you could pivot and go, nope. And I'm going to nerd out on this shit on whether it's real estate law or financial planning. And um, like, like you were very comfortable with just where you had found yourself. We talk about why those were the career paths you went down and, and what, yeah. And why that doesn't, uh, or maybe I'm mis- misreading yeah, it, but it not, seems like it didn't bother you. Yeah. I mean, realizing the opportunity that I had and how I grew up, like I grew up, we weren't poor, but we never like had anything. You okay. Know? Yep. Yep. So I knew that I'm like, my next target now is to find a job that I can have an uncapped income so I can just make tons of money. Got you. you know? Got so you. I wanted to make a lot of money. So money was never an issue. And I compare that to how I would feel if I was one of those guys showing up to a PT test and being scared, they're not going to pass a PT. Yes. You know what I mean? Great freaking parallel. Yeah. Do you want to be that guy? Fuck no, no, I'm never going to be scared of going to a PT test. You know, Um, I want to be the guy that's never afraid of, I want a new fucking car. I want a new pair of shoes. Like I'm going to buy that shit. Or I want to get a place somewhere with a girl at Ruth Chris. Like I'm going there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I thought about, about that career choice. And I actually like sitting and talking to people and helping them out. Right. No one ever taught me about finance growing up. And it was just a really interesting thing. Like, how do you not know that? Like you need to make more money than goes out. So you're not poor and you can eat. Like my mother didn't teach me that shit. Cause she did the opposite and it pissed me off. So I want to make sure that, you know, my daughter knows that the basics, right. So I can, yeah. sit with, I can sit with anyone now. I can sit with someone that makes 20 grand a year, or I can sit with someone who makes 20 million a year, understand what they need to do and then build that plan for them. You know, and, and how much, I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but how much is that, that mindset seems incredibly beneficial to be running a nonprofit because now you, because you're, you're wired to understand finances, to know how to um, look, I'm trying to think of uh, the best way to say this to hunt for the big money that you need, the corporate sponsorships, et cetera, et cetera. Like you're already in that headspace. And it seems like that was really serendipitous. A- absolutely. And then that comes, that relates back to our, the beginning of our conversation where it's like, I need to be able to spend the time to talk to those people. So once I have that in place and have a system where I can actually have like a, a specific fundraising or corporate reach out like blitz, and the language is correct, then I can just go tackle that myself. Cause I can put a suit on and go shake any hand and be like, Hey, like, you know, I, I, we need, I hate asking people for money to do the great work that we do. Right. It's an opportunity for you to give back to this cause, you know? And it's like, does the, does the Dave Camposano of, let's say a month after you separate, he can't go raise money the way the Dave Camposano now can right i mean he doesn't like so so getting into that industry i i guess what i'm saying is it's 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 there i think there's a lesson in this um and i'm 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 gonna 
kind of pontificate and see if, tell me if this is right or if I'm off, but it seems like all those where it seemed like the universe was denying you from what you set out to do was naturally leading you in a path that only you could have taken that gave you every skill and every experience you needed to be able to execute an incredibly important mission now. And that it's all been building, that there never has been a stop. It's all been pivoting in direction and leading you to where you are now. And no one else could have gone on that journey. I, yeah, I think you're right. And I, I've kind of thought about that a little bit too, because I think um, back to you know using the word faith, right? Mm. Um, there's some luck involved, but like a lot of this wasn't really a full design by me. It just kind of like naturally happened that way. And I think a lot of it is, is to your point is just having faith in like your, your thought and your motivation and, and the bigger picture, right? Like I knew when I was in the infantry and somebody was telling me to get high and tight that I was, and I don't want to put anybody down, but I was better than that. I don't need someone yeah. to, to get a haircut, man. Yeah. I don't I yeah. do the job. Just leave me the fuck alone. You know? Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what's happening now at 40. It's like, Leave me the fuck alone, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the right thing. I promise. Yeah, yeah. And it's just we need to find. I need to find the, just the the path from here on out, right? Like, am I gonna go nonprofit all the way? Right, I, right. I think, yes, I think that it will happen that way. But it's it, but it's it's wild because because somebody who had only just gotten into financial services, and I I, I don't want to I don't want to demean people that you know maybe come from like you said, not poor, but not, um, you know, fully sufficient and, 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 you know, still needing stuff and financially tight. It's easy for them to go, Hey, go to college, find a way in, get into the financial services industry and all that. And yeah, you can do that. But looking at the rich path of going, Hey, you were trying to get after it though. Physically, you were trying to get after it and serve your country and do these great and epic things. And you had all these experiences, and now you factor in the financial services piece. Now you've really got something because now you have a cause. Now it's not just, hey, I used to be poor and now I'm rich. It's, yeah, but I also have a mission. I really have a mission and a focus, and that's the underpinnings. It's not just the knowledge. And I think that's where so many Americans, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't make this a bigger point, but it seems like that's where so many people miss out on the value of military experience. That you go in and it's like, even if the military isn't, and this is not you, but even if the military is not something you want to do, go do it for a bit. You'll find out what you want to do. Yeah. You'll find, you'll, you'll go, yeah, fuck you for telling me to get my hair cut so much, but you'll find out exactly what the hell you want to do. And you'll feel unshackled and free and, and purposeful and all that. But it seems like that, that all kind of built towards a, a point and you're a different kind of nonprofit leader because of those, the experiences and then the education after. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's like, what's the, the thing in finances is you use one asset to pay for another, right? So you have your house, you have equity in it, you take out an equity line, and then you buy another house. And now that house is paying off your equity line, and then it's eventually going to be income, right? So you use one asset to pay for another asset. I'm using my finance career to pay for the nonprofit. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's helping our people. Yeah, like our fucking people, man. And it's like, I I think about it and I never, ever, if Chris, if, if one day in 10 years, if this takes off and it's really good, if I'm ever talking about anything other than helping our veterans and stopping suicide, I need you to fucking punch me in the face because I don't ever want that vision to be lost because of something else. 
Well, hopefully we won't be talking about because hopefully it won't be enough of a problem that we have to keep being the shit out of it. But yes, yeah, to your point, there is no nonprofit. You know, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Work towards obsolescence. Yeah, that's right. Oh, or if not obsolescence, I mean, I'm sure people will still need support animals and there's other stuff. Hey, and that reminds me, I did want to ask you about. So you had talked about all these tandem jumps and everything that you were doing as these awesome events that you guys put together, but this new airborne event is a whole different animal. Yeah. Can you just talk through what that is? And cause it, you're actually sending people to a civilian school, but they, they teach you to what do a static line jump essentially. Yeah. Yep. So it's okay. called operation airborne for vets. Um, I'm in Kafel came to me with the idea. Um, so I'm partnering with Iman and, um, you know, project sapient and um, WNR vets. And what it is, is, is we're taking 10 veterans down to Dunnellan, Florida, um, to jump out of, it's the X-35 Airborne School in Dunnellan, Florida. We're going to jump, we're going to do five or six um, static line jumps out of a couple out of a typical C-130 and then a few out of the actual plane that they used to jump into Normandy. Holy um, shit. Forget what aircraft that is. Um, Jesus that is. Christ. Do, I think two out of that. So it's going to be really, really cool. Now it's, it's just, it's a, an abbreviated military airborne school. So it's the training and then the jumping. And guys will actually get their military airborne wings after they do the last jump. And um, we're going to have some. Wait, you mean, so if they're in the military now, they would get, a, a, they would be certified to wear their, their airborne wings? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And we, if, if we have a couple of guys who are army who aren't airborne qualified, they can actually call and get it added on to their DD-214 after. They just what? have to have, they have to have like a kernel or something bless off on it. But yeah, they can get it added to their ERB. Is, is that X-35's own deal? Do they have some line where like that's been signed off on by DOD and that's where yes. they get that? Yeah, they, that's Holy what the that I had was they have a connection where they, they can actually do that. And we'll actually get, we'll get foreign wings because we have some foreign guys come into the class. So we'll actually get their foreign wings. Right. What? That's fucking guys. wild. So, so how many of the guys that are going are pre are already airborne qualified? Um, I, I think, um, less than half or, or maybe half of them are airborne qualified already. Okay. All right. the other ones yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. So yeah, that's it's, it's, fucking cool. Days down there. We got a hotel down there. We have, um, um, this, this woman, Samantha, she's a mental health specialist. She runs a CRST. I believe she's in, yeah, she's in California. Um, she, I'm in, is good friends with her. She's coming down and she's going to do an hour mental health session with us every day. Um, to talk, And she's, so her, her spiel is she's an, um, a fitness coach slash mental health specialist for combat veterans. And she's, she's a doctor. She's a doctor. Wow. So wow. She's going to come and uh, one of the programs she has is she has vets come to her gym and they can work out for free and then have a session for free if they're a combat vet. So, yeah. So, talk, so I guess, um, how did this idea get hatched? And then what, what's the, is she kind of the actual uh, anti-suicide element to this? It, it, like what, so just what's the logic of it then? How did you see it dovetailing with the, uh, anti-suicide mission? And, and mental health piece, was it just by having her there or what, how did all that develop? Yeah. So like the biggest thing is the, the whole jump is for veteran suicide awareness, right? So it's all about like, Hey, we're going down here. We're bringing these vets down here. Um, I'm actually going to personally wear a shirt every day from with somebody's name on it, who I know mm. who passed away. 
So it'll be like Sergeant Travis Partika. I I jump for you today, right? So gotcha, gotcha. name's gonna be on my shirt, and I'm gonna do like a push for that. Um, so the whole thing is veteran suicide awareness. I'm in came up with the idea to ask Samantha because um, he thought that we needed a mental health specialist. And I thought that was a fantastic idea. I think that having, and that's what we need. So that, that's our next step for 22 Mohawks is having a dedicated mental health specialist mm. that can work with vets. Um, and they're hard to find. They are. Yeah, really I, bet. I bet. I bet there's a different element because she brings in fitness and mental health. So what she does is she has the, the veteran do an hour workout and then she does, or a half hour workout and then a half hour session with them. And wow. And she says it works great. So yeah, so she just kind of, I'm an invited her in to be a part of, you know, just having the daily kind of like meditation, like, hey, yeah, never come in and talk to us. And she has um, a framework for us to, to work with every day. So um, I don't, did I answer your question? No, no, you totally answered it. Yeah. That, um, what's your, what's the goal with it? Um, is it, is it something where people are going to be able to watch or live stream and donate money or something or go, Hey, yeah. you know, like what's the, how, how do you action the financial piece of it? Yeah. So we have a donation push on my website, on Iman's website, on WNR vets website, where you can go on and donate specifically to this. Okay. Um, we're going to have press down there. So it is going to be on local, um, local television down there, like doing the push, like, Hey, this is for veteran suicide awareness with these guys. Um, the, the whole idea is, is to make this kind of an annual thing where we fly these guys to Florida. Um, we have some like mental health specialists come in. We have some big heavy hitters coming in, um, to just kind of talk veteran suicide and network. And then once you get this certification, it, it certifies each person who's jumped to jump in Massachusetts, because there's a jump in August, I think, in Massachusetts um, that's honoring the guys on D-Day. And then in, I think it's September, maybe, we are certified to go to to jump actually in France for the actual the mission. So we can actually jump with the people who are jumping into, into France. Into they, Normandy. Into Normandy. No yeah. shit. Yeah. So we're, we get an automatic invite because we've attended this course for that. So there's multiple events in the U S and overseas that we can actually participate in once we got you. That's freaking awesome. So when, when, uh, people donate, where's the money going then? What does that go to? Yeah. So the money goes to, um, I can actually pull it up. Basically we have different packages where, um, the money will go to funding the veteran to jump. So it's like, a thousand bucks funds the jump, two thousand bucks funds the jump and housing, and three thousand bucks funds the vet, the jump, and the travel. Right. Got so that's you. essentially the packages. And you can find the packages on, on our website or or on social media. We have it actually posted in a uh, in the feed. And, and for the guys that are that are jumping, I mean, talk about what, what was the what was the criteria to even get in the pool as one of the people that might be a candidate to jump. Yeah. So the way that 22 Mohawks does all the events is, is we post, we say, Hey, we have this event on this date. Um, so in this case, five days in Florida at Dunwin to get your static line airborne certification for veteran suicide awareness. If you want to participate, submit your name to David 22 Mohawks, or I'm in a project sapient. And on January um, 1st, we'll call the names. So you have until January 1st to get your name in, and then we're taking 10 vets. 
So then it was last week. We actually called the names. So we called the guys, we pulled them out of a hat. I saw that. Yeah. And then we call the names and then those are the guys who are in. And then they have like a week to say that they're going to make it. Cause then we can call in the alternates for the guys who didn't make it. Um, and that's how we do all our events. It's essentially to generate excitement, get people involved, get people sharing it to get all their other vets in there. And then we call the names. Um, it works, right? Because people are like, oh yeah, let's go. I can't, I hope I get on. I hope I get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they get in, but. Uh, That's freaking great, man. Wow. I, I know that, I know you and I'm in, you know, spent a lot of bandwidth trying to put all that together. And that seems like that's a lot of moving parts to try to figure out. Um, that's awesome. It's it's going off. Is it, Besides the news coverage, is there, are you going to have any internal video of the jumps or of the training or anything like that? Yeah. So we're actually trying to, I have, um, we have a team photographer, basically. Um, his name's Iman too, actually, believe it or not. I'm spelled differently. E-A-Y. But um, he's our team photographer. We're trying to get him to come down to actually do some really good photography and video for us. Um, so waiting to hear back on him, but if, if he does end up coming, they're going to do, we're going to do a ton of awesome stuff for the video. But I know that Dave from WR Vets has some guys coming down and do photography and videos too. So we will have some, some video for sure to post. Yeah. That's incredible, man. Um, that's awesome. That's going down. And I, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing whatever the end result is, whatever the end product is on social when you guys are posting yeah. that. Um, yeah, it's going to be cool. That's going to be really awesome. What's your next event after that? Do you know what it is yet? Yeah. So that's February. So our next event is we have, um, we have a couple big, big, like fundraisers after that one in Kingston where this woman's giving us her entire restaurant. Um, there's a door fee and then we're going to do raffles and stuff. And then everything she makes at the bar, she's going to give back to us. And all the money she makes at the door, she's going to get back to us. So that's Jesus. And it, it's a fundraiser, but it's kind of yeah, yeah. But then our um, then we actually have an event in Norwood, Massachusetts, at an Elks. It's a trivia night uh, where we can bring in like three hundred people. Um, and that's again, it's a fundraiser, but it's a huge event. Like the bar is going to be open. It's going to be cool. And then after that, the next event is our NASCAR event in. Mm, gosh, I think oh, that's May. So our NASCAR event is in May where we take 10 veterans, put them in a NASCAR race car solo. They put the headset on and they Holy ride the shit. track like five minutes. So you can get up to like 200 miles an hour or something in the car. Holy shit. And we're actually partnering with a local reserve unit. The local reserve unit's going to bring in a platoon and we're going to teach them a veteran suicide awareness class there. While, Jesus, man. Yeah, while it's going on. So that's, Dude, that's incredible, man. I, I mean, this is, you know, don't, you don't have to share any trade secrets or anything like that, but how easy has the fundraising been for you? Do you get, it seems like you get allies really quickly and like people are willing to help out and donate a lot pretty easily. Like there, there might not be a ton of convincing. Is that fair or is it, am I missing a lot? So up until mid December, we had done no fundraising. So all the money that's come in, has just been someone being like, Oh, I'm just going to give you cash. We didn't ask for a dime up until mid-December, um, my girlfriend actually put a party together for me for my 40th, but turned it into a fundraiser. Huh. Ended up getting it was pretty awesome. Like she did a she did a great great job. Um, and all these people came to fundraise, but also be at my 40th birthday party. And she did like this huge like PowerPoint presentation about me. It was like wicked cool because like I'm not like talking about like myself, but she right like, right. It was pretty cool. That's and, awesome. Wow. Yeah. But that was our first fundraising, and then. Um, the other, our other teammates, Allison and, and Kelly, 
are doing a big fundraiser um, to bring in money for the dogs and vets program. And then Rachel does um, started putting together all these smaller fundraisers that actually generate, like she did a spin class that generated some cash. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, wow. it was really cool. Like it was like 40 wow. bucks come and spin for an hour. And, um, but so this 2022 is our actual first year of going to be focused, focused gotcha. fundraising. Gotcha. Um, and yeah. Like everyone on my team is from Norwood again, not by design. And that's the town that we grew up in. So we have a huge following from people from our local town and they're all about giving us stuff. And then the professional canine services who we've partnered with, they have a huge following. So they're doing the motorcycle ride gotcha. event. Um, so it's just like, I feel like what happens is, is it becomes contagious and then people want to help us. And then yeah. they create yeah. an event and then they write us checks. And it's like, it's amazing the people that you meet. And I want to bring up one point. I don't know if you have to jump or anything, but no, 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 you're good. It's amazing. The good people that I've met along this way, like civilians and veterans that just want to help and give back, right? Like people yeah. creating events for us. But I feel like I found two types of people going through this, right? Whether they're veterans or civilians, there's one people like you and me and I'm in um, and the professional canine guys, Charlie and Pat, who just want to give back, want to help, don't need recognition, don't ask for anything. They're just like, we want to help vets. Suicide sucks. And we don't want to see that happen. So we're going to give time. We're going to give money. We're going to help. Right. Mm -hmm. And the second type of person is the person that wants to help or at least leads you to believe they want to help. But then they just want all this recognition. Me, me, me. I'm doing this and I'm doing this because I'm awesome. And I want all this recognition and um, I can't see it any other way. It's only coming from me. Those are the two types of people I've seen. Um, Interesting. And it kind of sucks. I, I don't know if you've experienced this. I haven't. I have I was just thinking that while you're saying that, I was like, I don't think I've run into that. Maybe that's, maybe I just even either haven't done enough or I've been blessed and just haven't run into that yet. Um, and these are veterans that are, that are kind of making it all about them. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, almost like they like, can't see the bigger picture. It's all, a, and it's, you know, I, I don't want to go too deep into that part, but yeah, it's, it's veterans who just want to be like in the spotlight. Wow. And um, there's, there's some quote that out there that says like, there's no limit to what you can accomplish if you don't give a shit to who gets the credit. You know what I mean? Oh so yeah. Sure. All fucking work together and we all have that one mission, you know, it's like, even in the army, it's like these officers get their, their awards and you're like, how the fuck did that dude get like a bronze star? Like, we didn't even fucking do shit, you know. Oh, you know, officers! Like I'm, I'm just shit. saying that for Charlie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like that's how it is in this world too. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sure. Like, just, let's let's help our dudes. Like, let's help our people. You know. Yeah. yeah. Dude, this is amazing, man. Uh, there's so you got so much good stuff going on. As I said, like if anybody hasn't checked out 22 Mohawks um, on Instagram or your site, uh, I'm so impressed. And by impressed, I mean jealous of uh, how you guys put all that together and the frequency that you post and the quality of posts. Um, it's a really sharp operation. Um, and just superficially, I think anybody would feel very comfortable lending their support to you because how you guys present yourselves, but certainly getting to know Dave uh, over the past couple months. And um, for anybody that doesn't know him personally, last couple hours getting to know you, uh, I think give anybody a warm fuzzy about helping out 22 Mohawks and supporting them. You guys are doing amazing work and um, dude, this is a pleasure. It's been a blast to actually talk this stuff through. 
Yeah, I appreciate you, Chris, like big time. And and I mean, you, I think I've said this to you in the past too, like you've actually helped me personally um, figure out some thoughts and, 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 and how I think about things with like writing and, and just like becoming a better person, like in this community. So I, I do really, really, you mean more than me than, you know, I, I can tell you, but I do appreciate you having us 22 Mohawks on today and, and me on today. It's uh, it means a lot. Well, that thank you for the, those words. I mean, that that means a lot, and I'm I'm glad if I've been any help. And uh, I want to see your writing down the road, and maybe we'll, you'll, yeah. we'll get you on Savage Wonder when that comes out, yeah. and uh, and do that piece. That would be freaking awesome. I, I can't wait. Yeah, I definitely um, want you to see it, man. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be a blast, man. I'd, I'd yeah, I would look forward to that. Um, hey, Dave, thanks, man. This has been great. I really appreciate it. And thanks for spending a couple hours with us on a Saturday. Thank you. Anytime, anytime. If you need me for anything or 22 Mohawks, let, let us know, Chris, we're there for you. Will do. To everyone else, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe. I mean, you probably have because you're listening to this now. But if you haven't, for some reason, go ahead and click that button. If you're on iTunes, we would love your five-star review. Again, you can say whatever you want to us, questions, comments, snide remarks, all kinds of criticism, constructive and otherwise, just attach it to a five-star review, though. That would be awesome and help us out a lot. Show notes will be available at theweeklyhavoc.podbean.com or the article that I'll write for Havoc Journal or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Just scroll up or scroll down, and you will see... um, all the links that we talked about, I'm just trying to think there probably weren't a ton, but certainly you'll see 22 Mohawks and be able to link to all their events there. Um, so we'll make sure we put that out in the show notes as well. If there's any alibis, anything I misstated, misspoke, misremembered, um, anything causes me to wake up at two in the morning in cold sweats, I will write that out as well. Off the top of my head, I don't think I did anything like that, but if I did, I'll put it out there. Uh, the same offer extends to Dave if there's anything that he felt. He misstated, misspoke, or misremembered. But as I say, generally, nobody takes me up on that, and I'm the only one that ends up having to write an alibi after the fact. (laughs) Savage Wonder is a podcast about warriors and artists. It is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events. Of course, those of you that have heard this show before know that that is my nonprofit and uh, kind of what Dave and I were elliptically referencing at several points throughout this show. If you want to hear me conduct one-on-one long-form interviews with veterans of the military, law enforcement, fire, EMS, intelligence services, or DOD employees or contractors who are also artists, please consider adding the Savage Wonder podcast to your queue. You can find it at savagewonder.podbean.com or just put Savage Wonder in any search function on any podcast platform and you will find it. As always, thanks to our producer, Michael Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Dave Camposano. And we'll keep trying to make order out of chaos when we see you next time for the Weekly Havoc.